media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. As you're seated this morning, open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I did not know that um, Ricky was going to share that story about he and Jude in the, in the car the other day. But, you know, guys, we live in a world, ever since the fall of Genesis 3, we, we live in a world where there is sin. And so we know that there's always been sin. You can look back and you look at Sodom and Gomorrah and some of those things in the Old Testament. You're going, okay, this world has gone off the level crazy in, in certain eras and days. And yet, when we begin to look at that and we begin to see the fallenness and sinfulness of man... All of a sudden, you as parents are in that truck. You're, you're in that conversation, and you're having to have really difficult conversations with your children. Conversations that maybe perhaps you never even thought about having just one generation ago. About what about identifying with this and identifying with that. And that's where we come back to God's Word to give us both the wisdom, the direction, the correction of maybe things that our culture would say, hey, this is okay and yet God's word has said, no, this is not the way that I want you to live. And that you would be able to do that with both correction, but also with great grace and with tremendous love. And folks, we're not going to be able to get that direction. We're not going to be able to have those hard conversations with our children and grandchildren, even amongst ourselves, Father, without the Father directing us and the way to go. And so that's why we look this morning, we come back to Second Timothy. Remember, this is about how do we discern truth in a world that is really kind of deceptive and has a way and a flow of its own going. This is a letter from the Apostle Paul to his son in the ministry. It wasn't his physical, natural son, but he had pretty much adopted Timothy as a young pastor and he had trained him up. If you want to say it was like a mentor-mentee kind of relationship, it was that and so much more. And so he loves Timothy. And Paul knows that it's near the end of his life. And so he's giving this wise advice of, okay, here's how you live this Christian life. These are the things you need to do, especially knowing that God had called Timothy to pastor, that he was going to be leading a church and leading other Christians. And so as he begins to, to talk about that, we saw last week that uh, Paul had some words that can be very discouraging. At the first part of first, uh, 2 Timothy 3, he begins to talk about there's going to be a day when just it all falls apart. And right is no longer right, and wrong is proclaimed, and all these different things. And he goes in there and he says, okay, I wish I could give you good news, but it's going to go from bad to worse. In fact, look at Second Timothy 3.13 again. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now again, I'm a very positive person. I'm one of those. I, I like to, you know, glass half full and all that. And yet when the word tells us, okay, in the, in the last days, this is kind of the world that we're going to live in. And remember we said last days is a term from the time that Christ ascended, Christ came and ascended until he returns again. We're not just talking about revelation in the book of revelation and all these different things that we see, uh, in the book of revelation. The last days as He's using the term, began what we call the church age. When the Holy Spirit came upon the believers at Pentecost, when Christ had already ascended, and we've been living in that church age now for 2,000 years. So in the last days, he says, this is going to be worse and worse and worse. 
that there's not, you know, maybe there's going to be little bits of revival. Maybe we even see that in our world right now, that little sections of revival break out. But for the most part, when we just look at the world at whole, he says, yeah, imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving, being deceived. But Paul wrote, how do we, how do we, you know, survive? How do we direct our own lives, much less the lives of our families? Look what he said in the next verse, verse 14. But as for you, really important phrase right there, but as for you, Timothy, you're, you're separated from this world and kind of this, this whole flow that's going in this direction. I want you to be separate from that. You're a called out people. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Last week, we had covered that and said, Timothy had the great blessing of being raised by a mother and a grandmother that were pointed out in the first chapter that raised him in the word. That is the knowledge of the sacred scriptures. And they, they taught him probably in very formal times and then probably in less formal times, you know, just sitting around or in the middle of the truck. Hey, Dad, what about this? And how many of those questions did Timothy ask of his mother and grandmother? And they said, well, here's what God's word has to say for I, you know, I was almost in danger when our kids were, were growing up, uh, trying to balance between not being the preacher all the time, um, because the phrase they would tell you to this day, and uh, that got heard all the time in our house. Well, you know, the Bible says, da-da-da, and if they heard it once, they heard it a million times. And there's a part of it they would just kind of roll, you know, that kind of roll your eyes, the Bible says. And yet, at the same time, I'm going... I am glad that we actually taught them what the Bible says. And there's going to be the time that they can come and have ownership over it and not roll their eyes and that they can say, yes, this is the truth of God for the, for their lives. But is our responsibility, parents, grandparents, leaders, to make sure that we are growing our children up. Remember what we said last week? Not just in church, but in the Word. And there is a difference. I am so glad that many of your children are growing up in the church. I mean, that's an integral part of spiritual life as for a Christian is to, to have other believers around them. But do realize that just coming to church for an hour a week and, and kind of checking that box does not mean that your children, or you for that matter, are necessarily, necessarily growing up in the Word. And so it's a multi-pronged approach. It is participating in church and and very much being with other believers, but making sure that it's beyond just one hour a week that our kids are getting godly instruction from the Word. And so this morning we come and kind of bring in where we left off last week. We left off with verse 16, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Those 19 words are a gold mine of biblical instruction. And, and from that, we can see four distinct intentions of God's word. First of all, last week, we talked about how this is intimacy. All scripture is breathed out. God spoke this. He, this is from God. It's from his heart. It's from his mind. This is God's word. So it's not just kind of rules and regulations. I mean, if you look at Leviticus, you might think, hey, rules and regulations. But even that was from God's heart and mind so that he could demonstrate what a called out people looked like. 
And so when we open up the Word of God, we can have the assurance, folks, that you truly are reading not just Paul's letters and John's writings and Peter, Peter's kind of thoughts. No, this is the Word of God. The very Spirit of God inspired those men in their personalities with their circumstances to write this, but it's God's Word. And so what's the practical application of that? You want to know about God? The heart of God? Study His Word. You want to know the purposes of God? Study His Word. You want to know the will of God for your life? Study His Word. We're not living life as victims. We're not living lives just with the winds of things and it takes us wherever we want to go. We have a solid foundation and it's His Word. And if you want your children and grandchildren to have this solid foundation, there's this need to raise them in the Word and to live out the Word in your own life. We're, we're all fallen people. We're going to make mistakes. Oh my goodness. Uh, if my girls were here today, I said, how long do we have? They'd be able to go down the list of the times that I just totally blew it. Carly only blew it like one or two times in, in all these years. But mine was a daily occurrence, you know? And yet I, I pray that even in my fallenness, that they would see, okay, here, here's a guy who truly wants to live for God and believes with all of his heart that this Bible that we hold is the Word of God. So, so what is it? He says in there that this is profitable. What does it profit us to be students of God's Word? Well, again, we can know God's heart, His, His will, His purposes, but He gives us four different things in this passage that are just foundational truths that you and I gain if we truly want to discern truth in a really deceitful world. If you want to know what God says is true, then we go here and we begin to look at these four different distinctions. First one, teaching. The word here is often translated in other passages in the New Testament as doctrine. Uh, I love theology. I'm one of those theology geeks that just kind of like theology. And I like deep discussions about what about this and what about that. I mean, some of the theology can get kind of insane. Did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? You know, that's really not all that important. But it is one of those things you're going, huh, you know. And so sometimes we can kind of get lost in that kind of thought. You know, can God make a rock big enough that God can't move? You know, that's it kind of is a ridiculous situation. But you and I need God's truth, his doctrine, his foundational truth to build a life that's going to go in the right direction. And so we begin to see this emphasis on the, of this particular word on foundational truth. It tells us about God. It tells us about us as mankind. It tells us about sin. It tells us about things like salvation. The Bible is where we draw our theology from. We don't get theology from famous preachers. We don't get theology from man just kind of postulating. We get theology, solid truth, doctrinal truth, From God's word. Again, in other parts of the Bible, we see the same Greek word and it's often translated doctrine. And we can see the important role that it plays in the life of, for example, as a pastor. Uh, Titus 1.9 is a good example of that. It's talking about the qualifications of a pastor, a leader, a teacher in the church. And he says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he might be able to do what? To give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. 
that, okay, here's the right way. This is what God has said, and this is what being said, and it doesn't really kind of jive with what God said. It's contradictory to it. And so one of the early things that the church realized that, okay, if you're going to be a pastor leader, you've got to be very much in sound doctrine and give that instruction in sound doctrine. Paul had already experienced those, even in the early church in first century Christianity, those who wanted to twist and turn. You know, one of the big debates early on was, was Jesus really human and God? Was he both deity and human? And people took sides. Some people said, well, you can't be both, even though the word of God says that he was both. He was God in full. He was human in full. And yet that blew their minds. So they said, well, let's try to figure this out from a human perspective. Either he was God and he really wasn't man. And what we saw were just kind of like caricatures of, of Jesus walking around. Or he was just a really good man. Our biblical doctrine tells us that Jesus was the God-man. Blows my mind still. I, I still can't figure out the Trinity. How can be three, but you're really one, but you're really one, but you're really three? I mean, that math doesn't work in my mind, but I believe it with all my heart. Why? Because the Bible tells me that it is true. And in faith, I put my faith in, okay, God, my human mind can't comprehend this, but I know that to be sound doctrine, that there is God, you, the Father, and there is Jesus Christ, and there is your very spirit now indwelling the hearts of believers. My human brain cannot figure that out. My heart and my spiritual brain believe it with all my heart. And so he says here, okay, uh, verse 13, remember what it said in verse 13? While evil people and imposters go about from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. What's the, what's the meaning of the word deception? It means to call someone, I mean, this is just out of, you know, a dictionary, to call someone to believe something that is not true. Is that simple enough? And, and so he says, okay, there's going to be some people that are going to be saying things that are not true. That's part of deception. And what they're saying is deceptive, but sometimes their motive is even deceptive. Do you think we live in a world where, I don't know that we have any car salesmen in here, so let me just throw this one out, you know, that maybe perhaps one, just one car salesman might want to deceive you about the history of a used car, driven by a little old lady, only going to church once a week. This is a, a wonderful car. When maybe he knows in reality that it wasn't such and such. But he has a purpose to deceive. He wants to sell that car. He wants you to buy that car. In other words, our human motives sometimes come into and help us to interpret, sometimes wrongly because we're just ignorant, other times because we have a purpose, we have an intention to deceive. God says, my intention of my word is to help you navigate those deceptions, to be give you to give you a doctrine, a, a foundation. Let's just take one theological issue. Okay, salvation. Uh, let me give you the easiest definition of salvation is there is. How can we as humans be made right with a God who is holy and perfect? Okay, how how are we saved? And all of a sudden we can come up with a whole bunch of different guesses. We'll try to do the right things and try to be really good and all kinds of different things come to our mind. And then we begin to, to look in God's word and doctrine teaches us why we need salvation. 
What if you're the best person in this room? I mean, truly, you are the best person in this room. And all you do is kind of, you know, not intentionally, but you're going, okay, I think I'm going to make it to heaven because I see a lot of bad people, even in this church. You know, so I think I'm going to be at least on the top end. The Bible says that we've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. My mind would not have convinced me of that. If I didn't see that truth in God's word, I wouldn't be convinced that all men have fallen short because I would count myself as maybe one of those that really tried hard and be on the top end. You see how that works? That even when we're not trying to deceive ourselves that sometimes we can. Why? Because it's just our own human sinful nature. And so God's word says, I will teach you not only why you need to be saved, but how to be saved. I mean, it's a very prevalent thought today that our, uh, you know, genuineness, our authenticity has to count for something toward God. That we could believe the wrong thing, but if we're really authentic about it, we really believe with all of our heart that somehow that's going to measure up with God. The Bible would never say that. The Bible doesn't deceive us. It doesn't say turn left when he knows we need to turn right. He says there's only one name that we can be saved. There's only one person that can save us, and that's Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. And so our good intentions and our being good and all those things start to pale in comparison. And yet, we've said it many times, I've said it many times from this pulpit, do you still struggle with, I always call him Farmer Ted. Because there's always a Farmer Ted out there that is a really good guy. That in times of need gives away his crops and does this and helps the community. Bottom line, we would look at Farmer Ted and we're going, okay, there's a man, a wonderful man. And surely there is a place in heaven for him. But you know what's going to matter in Farmer Ted's life and the same thing in your life and my life? Did we trust the work of Christ to take away our sin? Maybe Farmer Ted has a lot less sin than you do. But he's still a sinner. And that's why we need doctrine. Why? Because at first, and just like the second thing we're going to look at in just a second, there's going to be something within us that says, no, maybe that's true for everybody else, but not for me. And somehow we want to invade the truths of God's word. So how important is it that we would know, for that example, salvation, why we need to be saved and how we're saved? And the results of being saved. How do we now live if we truly believe that we are Christians? And we put our faith in this Jesus Christ, who we believe is the Son of God. And yet, how many different beliefs are there about salvation in the world? And you say, you know, the easy thing is always to think about, well, the people in Russia and the people in India and the people in Africa and Southeast Asia and all the different religions of the world. Folks, in Jackson, County, how many different versions are there to what people would say, this is salvation. This is how you are made right with a, with a holy God. And I think we'd be surprised at how many versions are out there among your neighbors, your family members, maybe even within the church if we're not doctrinally sound. So we go back to this word profitable that Paul uses here describing the Bible. He says it's a profit of reading God's word. Why? So it can give us foundational truth. Makes us look at verse 15. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you what? 
making wise for salvation. We just talked about there's a doctrine, the doctrine of how to be saved, the doctrine of you know how's made one made right with a holy God. He says, you read the word, you become acquainted with the word, and through this very spirit of God, he will make you wise that this is how you're saved. I don't want to oversimplify, but folks, I simply do not want to think that we don't live in a world where there's a thousand different believable, at least on the human level, believable answers to that question. How is one right with a holy God? Because one of the first things that might happen in your family, your, your <coughs> Excuse me, your neighbors are are your workplace? Well, I don't know that I even believe that there is a God. Oh my goodness, then you came back and you have another question. See how confusing this can be? And if it's confusing to you as an adult, can you imagine being a six-year-old, nine-year-old, 12-year-old, trying to navigate all the different winds of belief just right here in our, not, not some foreign country, in the world that they live in the school that they go to. So he says, okay, I'm going to give you foundational belief. I'm going to give you doctrine. Second thing that he knows that he mentions there, reproof. And the minute we see that there's something in our whole human nature that says, okay, I rebuke this whole word of rebuking and reproof. We just don't like to be corrected. We have a pride, and so we don't like to be exposed. Basically, what is the reproof that he's talking about? Uh, the easiest illustration that I know of is that God uses his word through his spirit to turn on the lights to our darkness. Does that make sense? Have you ever been doing something in the dark that you would not want to be brought to light? Whether, whether that's a legitimate dark, I mean a real darkness, or whether that's just a figurative darkness that you do not want to be brought to light. Would, for example, would you want to know would you want everybody else in church to know what goes through your head Monday through Friday, <laughs> Saturday or Sunday? <laughs> no. And we don't want that to be brought to light. And so God says, okay, one of the, the intentions of my word is I'm going to shine light in, in darkened areas of, of your understanding. We're, we're not going to like and have a natural liking for this reproof because of pride. We have a natural resistance to it. And so we're going, well, I just really don't believe that that's what the Bible says. Or, I don't agree with the Bible. You're free to disagree with the Bible, but you'll be wrong. I'm I'm trying to be funny. I'm not trying to be simplistic. You disagree with the Bible, what God has said. Either you're wrong or God is wrong. I'm going to tell you who's going to win that fight every single time. God is holy. He's right. This word that we hold is this gift to us. At most, what we would know about God outside of the Bible would be that maybe somehow something had to create us. But we wouldn't know about his love. We wouldn't know about his character. We wouldn't know about all these different qualities outside of the Bible if he did not tell us about himself. And yet he has. And he describes himself as holy and jealous. Just like a, a spurned lover? No, just like someone who de- who wants the very, very, very best for your life. And knowing that anything less than him is a bad substitute. How do we know that? Because the word of God tells us that. And so the Holy Spirit, God's very spirit, uses the word of God to convince us what is wrong. That's what is reproof. 
It's kind of like instant replay in sports. Okay? And if I'm this guy, I'm going, I was not out of bounds. I was not out of bounds. I scored the touchdown. And then do the instant replay, and you got the, the ref there, and he's going, actually, we have on tape, you were out of bounds. In the most simplistic of ways, guys, that's what reproof is. It's telling the truth about what actually happened. And it begins to defeat our argument. No, I really wasn't out of bounds. I said, well, I have proof. You know, here's what God's word says. And, and, and here I blew the whistle because, yeah, you did step out of bounds. Uh, we've all seen the, the picture of the little kid. You know, a little kid. I didn't eat the cookie, Mama. I promise I did not eat the cookie. And yet there's the evidence all over. And we're going, somehow, sweetheart, I think maybe you did eat the cookie. No, I promise I didn't. The word of God tells the truth about us, guys. You don't, I'm not saying that you're going to have to like the truth. I'm not going to say that you accept the truth. But I can tell you this definitively. God will tell you the truth. Why? Because he loves you. And so when I have chocolate over my face and I say, well, it wasn't me. It wasn't me, God. He's going, Bobby, from my word and through my spirit, let me just show you your heart, your mind on that matter. I mean, you got chocolate all over your face. It's, it's obvious. And so I don't want you to, to be deceived by the world, but I don't want you to deceive yourself. Is it possible to deceive yourself? And especially when you live in a deceptive world. Because all of a sudden we start just thinking, hey, that's what my friend thinks. That's what, that's how I was raised. My mama thought that. My daddy thought that. He says, no, I will bring reproof. Because the Holy Spirit convicts us by using the word of God to show us that we were wrong. Proverbs 15, 31, 32. Look at a very important term that's used there. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. How many of y'all believe that at 10 years old, 13 years old, 15 years old, 18 years old? Everything in my heart. I mean, our oldest daughter will actually admit and agree this thing. If she was here and gave testimony, I thought my parents were the dumbest people in the world. And she, it wasn't just like a a phase. She truly believed that she was so much smarter than us. We're not the most brilliant people in the world, but there's a few things that we had figured out and You know, folks, that's just growing up. That's part of maturing and the whole maturation process. But this can extend into adulthood. Can we be 40 years old and still want to not accept life-giving reproof in our lives? If it goes against one of the things that we want or some of the things that our heart desires... And yet God says, no, this is not what I want for you. This is the path to holiness. This is the path of how you can live out the Christian life. Just because you're a Christian, just because you're 40 or 50 or 60 years old, doesn't guarantee that we've got this figured out. That's why we need to be in the Word of God. Because we can be deceived. As we've talked in the last couple of weeks, this mind and this heart can be deceptive at times. 
And so if we want life-giving reproof, we look into God's Word. The third thing that he mentions there, the third benefit, intention of God's Word, is to bring correction to our lives. The Bible doesn't just tell us what is wrong, but it points us to the right way. Can you imagine being in an advanced-level math course, let's say calculus, and all the teacher ever did was give you exams and mark what was wrong, but never give you instructions to do right? How many of you could have been self-taught in calculus? Wouldn't that be pretty defeating that all you ever got was wrong, wrong, wrong. But how do you fix this? What's the right way to do it? No, it's just wrong. See, God's not like that, guys. As much as you want to say, man, he's talking about doctrine. He's talking about reproof and all this. This is a loving God who doesn't just say wrong, wrong, wrong. He says, no, here's the right way. Here's the path to do it the right way. The, the word that Paul uses here is actually, if something fell over, this, this microphone fell over, it means to set it back right. That's the word that he uses. Anybody ever fall over during the week? I mean, I'm not talking literally. <laughs> Some of us are at that stage, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Brings me back to my childhood. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Man, you know, that was a, a hope and a dream. But spiritually, morally, thinking-wise, feeling-wise, do you ever fall over? God doesn't write you off. He uses his word to correct and bring you into right standing again. I mean, if you break your arm, the doctor does what? Sets the bone correctly. That's what this Greek word means. To set correctly. And then puts a cast on it. So that it can build back and, and, and grow in the right way. I mean, can you imagine for every broken bone that you've ever had? The doctor said, just want you to know you've got a broke bone. And that was it. No correction. I mean, my goodness. Can you imagine how we would look if every broke bone, every broken part... All they did was tell us, that's broke. Sorry. <laughs> they at least make an attempt to correct it. And the word of God correct, brings correction to our lives. That's the balance that we get from God's word. It brings us truth, but it doesn't in love. Truth out love, folks, is very defeating. Do you have people in your life that want to give you truth, but no love? <laughs> I mean, they point out every little misstep. And then you have other people that love you so much, but they don't love you enough to tell you the truth. God said that the way that we should act in this world is to be full of truth and love. And the word of God brings truth and love. Is it hurting? Sometimes it really is because we need correcting. I guarantee you, if you go in there with a broken arm, there's a couple minutes when it hurts when he says, okay, (laughs) I'm going to reset this and put it straight again. But you may feel a little bit of pain. Yeah. But the intention is to bring it back to right standing. That's what God does. That kind of leads us into the fourth and final intention that we see listed here. Training in righteousness. The word that Paul uses is actually a word associated with training with children. And so that's why this is so applicable to uh, our series right now of emphasizing training our children in the right way to go. And whereas the word correction was a restoring 
into a right relationship or the right way. This word means, okay, let's show them the right way from the beginning and train them to walk in that way. Do you get the difference? One is a correction, and there's hope in that correction because it restores us when we have something broken. This is, okay, let's hope that nothing gets broken in the first place. Let's just train in the right way to go. Now, now most of us, especially if we have some age on us, we said, you know, the best lessons I've ever learned were when I fell down and I learned from my mistakes. How many of y'all could give a testimony of that today? As true as that is, do you want your children and your grandchildren to make those same mistakes just so that they can really learn it? And that's what this word means. This, this intention is that the word of God is to train them in righteousness so that perhaps they can make the right choice and never make that mistake. I mean, what a glorious thought there. That, that was really the intention that we saw last week in that passage from Psalms. Psalms 119, verse 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What if you do sin? Well, we go back to the correction. We go back to the reproof. God, thank you that you will correct me. And thank you you've given me a hope in Jesus Christ that I'm now not in a broken relationship with you. God's got it all covered, guys. But what's your preference for your children and for your grandchildren? To make the mistake and learn school of hard knocks? Or to be trained up in the word and to thirst after righteousness and to go that path to begin with? They won't do it perfectly. None of us have. But isn't that the hope that you have for your children and grandchildren? That they would make right choices along the way? That they wouldn't have to learn from the scars of their life? The role of a coach is to train the right way to hit, to, to, to shoot a basket, to throw a football, to swing a golf club, fill in the blank with whatever, to do a tumble, to gymnastics, whatever. The role of a coach is, okay... You haven't ever been able to do this before, but let me show you the right way to do this. And that's really what this intention of the Word of God is. It's it's, said, okay, the Word is like a coach that tells you the right way. And it involves the element of correcting, as we saw earlier, but every child needs correcting, but it needs direction to, to know, you know, how to navigate what's in front of them. We took our kids years ago on, on their first cruise. And this is, they've changed cruising a lot in the last 20, 30 years. But back then, you sat down and there's like five courses that they would bring you. And so there was like four or five forks. There was four or five spoons. We can only imagine my kids getting there going, what do we do with all these forks and spoons? Okay. Do you think it's innate in human understanding to know what to do with four forks? No. So we had to teach them. Start on the outside and with each course, move to the inside. This is why you have all these forks. This is why you have these spoons. So they kind of learned. At least I hope that we taught them the right way. That's what we did because we had heard that from somebody and they had taught us. Because the first time I ever sat down with four forks, why do they need four forks? That's a waste. I just need one. 
Really simple illustration, but how do you know that without direction? Parents, more than ever, our children need to know how to respond rightly in the situations of life. And I'm not talking spoons and forks. Deuteronomy 6, 7 in the Old Testament says, You shall teach them diligently, meaning the laws of God, the commandments of God. Teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, this is a 24-hour job to teach them what is correct and right. And, and, And this will be done with direction, not just correction. Paul wrote to fathers, and I don't know why he picked out fathers, but I can kind of think why he picked out fathers. In Ephesians 6, 4, and he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. I understand that a little bit better because just honest testimony, if you noticed last week, I got a little choked up. And I don't apologize for that. God's word is heavy, guys. There's times that we're preaching God's word, we're teaching God's word, and if it doesn't get your heart, then you have to start to wonder, do you have a heart? And I got choked up a little bit last week because um, I'm just being honest with you. I feel differently. I shouldn't, but I feel differently now that my grandchildren are growing up than my children. When my children were growing up, I was this father. Do right, do right. I was the disciplinarian. I was the one that said this. And it was pretty forceful, pretty direct. But to be real honest with you, I, I look at the same world now and I see my grandchildren and there's a little bit of fear in my heart. We're not to have a spirit of fear and timidity as Christians because Christ has overcome. But mine isn't so much now, okay, Brantley, do this. Piper, make sure you're doing this. Now it's like, oh my goodness, look at the world. Man, they need the word of God more than ever before. Does that make sense? How... And, and for every grandparent, they're going, yes. <laughs> because we understand that role of parent. Man, we were, just, we were pretty strong disciplinarians. Now as a grandparent, we actually say, man, this is pretty vital. See that word discipline? It's the, what's the root of that word? Disciple. I love discipleship. Guess where discipleship starts, guys? In the home. How blessed your children are to have people like Mr. Jeff to guide them in truth. How blessed they are. And and he loves that role and, and does it so well with our students, young and older students. But guess whose first job it is? It's yours. And again, I don't want to lay this heavy on you, but I do not want to weaken whatsoever this call of God upon our lives. And thank God, thank you, God, that we have the Jeffs of this world and we have other people and coaches. Man, if my coach said it, it was like my pastor saying it when I was growing up. And so I was blessed to have some Christian coaches. And when they said it, it was like, yes. Wouldn't listen to the sermon on Sunday, but I listened to my coach on Wednesday. Thank God we can surround our kids with other people of of Christian belief and doctrine that we believe in and and these things 
so that we can have this encouragement. But it's our jobs. We disciple because we want to bring hope to our kids. Proverbs 19.18 Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. How many of them have been there before? (laughs) Brought you into this world? And I can take you out. I mean, that's what it says in Proverbs, guys. That we discipline what? To kill the spirit? No, to bring hope. Because we believe and trust that God's word is the way. Even in those moments when he said, you know, I'm weighing the options right now. There's a part of me that wants to bring you hope. There's a part of me that wants to go ahead and just put you to death. Put you out of your misery. God's word brings hope. Four intentions of God's word. Teaching, giving us foundational doctrinal truth. Reproof, turning on the light in our own natural darkness. Correction, to restore when we've walked outside the path, when we've fallen over spiritually. And training, to help us to go the right way in the beginning. Next week we're going to look at verse 17, that all these things come together for, for the intention of this. Verse 17, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Is that what you desire for yourself? Is that what you desire for your children? Is that what you desire for your lineage and your legacy? God said, you find it right here in my word. Father, we love you. We thank you, Father. We thank you for your word. Father, there's times that your words have been very abrasive to us, Father, in the way that it confronted me in my own selfishness, my own pride. And so, Father, there's been times that I've felt that reproof that you've given through your word, and I want to say, well, that's not really what God meant. And yet, Father, because of your kindness, your love, speaking truth and love, Father, you, you convinced my heart that, no, that's what you did mean. So, Father, I thank you that your word at times is so gratifying and so life-giving, as we saw. It gives hope. And yet, Father, it does it sometimes in a way that brings correction and brings discipline. And so, Father, we thank you. Help us now to be the people that live this out in our own lives, Father. That we realize that even as adults, even if we've been in church all of our life, that we have a constant need to be in your word on a regular basis so that you can work these four intentions of your word into our lives. And that we can truly disciple our children and our grandchildren. That as we are living this out, Father, as we are trusting in faith these things in our own life, that our our children will be able to see examples of, wow, that scripture right there, it kind of hurt our feelings. This is God's loving truth. And this is the path that he desires for us to walk on. So, Father, we let us demonstrate that in our lives. Will you help us to be very intentional in our homes? Father, that as thankful as we are for coaches and teachers and Mr. Jeff and others, that we would understand that the first discipler in our children's life are mom and dad. We love you, Father. Thank you for not putting this as a heavy 
on our hearts in, in the sense of that somehow the only way to heaven is if we do these things. Father, thank you that in all of our fallenness, you've provided Christ to be the answer for our righteousness. But now, Father, through your spirit, you've encouraged us, Father, to pass that on. Father, to give this hope and to raise a generation of children in the truth of your word. We love you and we thank you, Father. And we ask you this morning to speak, Father, speak through your word. Pray all this in the hope of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.